Welcome back to the Align for Success podcast. I am Deborah Darris, peak performance Latina speaker, author, and your mindset, marketing, and manifestation coach. For over 20 years, I have given keynote speeches to Fortune 500 companies like Procter & Gamble, General Electric, Verizon, State Farm, Macy's, and so much more. And I've been coaching entrepreneurs, busy professionals to achieve peak performance by doing the inner work. And on this podcast, each and every week, I interview one of my mentors, people that have influenced and inspired me because of the inner work they do to set themselves up for success. I believe that success leaves clues. And my intention with this podcast is to share the mindset, marketing, and manifestation strategies so you can achieve success with ease and with grace. Hi, friends, to another episode of the Align for Success podcast. My name is Deborah Darris, your hostess with the Moses, here bringing you another very, very special guest, another very special very special episode because this episode was literally divinely downloaded to me. Have you ever had like a night where you're like sleepless and you're worried about the many, many challenges of the world? We have a lot (laughs) to worry about, but the one challenge I was worrying about was the epidemic of drugs and people overdosing, fentanyl, just people just not getting the help and support that they need because in the pandemic, I just had increasingly heard about people in my inner circle dealing with mental health issues. And I was like, we need to raise awareness about mental health, especially amongst people of color, uh, to really get help and to get support. And I was on Facebook and I was seeing my dear purple brother from another mother, um, always doing these podcasts about how he's helping people get through addiction and how he's working with people one-on-one to become sober. And I was like, that's alignment right there. When we talk about aligning for success, I think sometimes people get the wrong idea. First of all, alignment is not about the car. It's not about your back. Alignment is about walking your talk. It's when you are in integrity with your soul. What you say are your core values and your truth and your belief and your credo and your way of living is actually the way you're integrated and the way you're acting. And if you're not like that, you're going to feel bad, right? I say out of integrity with your soul, but I mean bad. You're going to feel shame. You're going to feel guilt. You're going to feel whatever, self-hatred, etc. And the only way to fix that is to align where you are walking your talk. If you say you want a life of peace, you're creating peace. If you say you want a life of freedom, you're co-creating freedom, right? But it starts with the inner work. And that's what we talk about in this podcast. Success to us is not a purse or a house or anything. Success to me in particular is inner peace that I can sleep at night knowing I've done my best during that day, the best I could for that day. Of course, I could do better, but there's always a next day. Success to you may be very different. In fact, I'd love to hear in the comments what success does mean to you, because today we're going to talk about aligning for success in the realm of sobriety. And if you've ever had a loved one 
a friend, someone that has suffered silently. Today is going to be a very special episode because they're going to learn tools, resources, and have a live human that they're going to be able to reach out to to get support. So if you're listening to this right now, either uh, live or on the replay, here's my invitation to you. Share this podcast. We have a philosophy here at Synergy Unlimited, and that is sharing is caring. Hi, Danielle. Nice to see you. So glad you came back. See, it would not be stopped. So we have a philosophy, sharing is caring. We also have, by the way, to help you remember, because how can we remember anything? I literally, friends, because I'm super ADD, I have alarms that go off each and every day. Get ready for the podcast. Take a shower. Put on deodorant. No, I'm just kidding. Um, actually, during pandemic, I had to remember certain things. I'm like, oh my God, I need to like fix my eyebrows. Anyway, so we have a number to notify you when the podcast goes live. So you don't have to remember. We normally go live on Tuesday. We have a special Thrive Thursday today. And you can text the number 1-844-920-1572, keyword align, and you will get notified right at 615 when we go live so that you'll be informed. You won't miss another special guest. And today's special guest is someone that is just amazing. I think I'm going to introduce him. I don't, I don't want to even wait any further because Pej is a man who in his past life experienced massive amounts of trauma, incarcerations, homelessness, violence, and a criminal lifestyle. In this second life, after being spiritually bankrupt and finally doing what was feared the most, raising his hands and saying, I can't live this way anymore. Please help. How do I surrender? And the planets were aligned. Ooh, la la. And the spirit of the universe through the highest source placed spiritual mentors, teachers to guide him on an entire new path. A path to be of maximum service to others and practice altruism as it was demonstrated by those that came before and paved the way. I have a very special guest. It is my friend, my purple brother from another mother. It is Mr. Page Man. Welcome to the show. Yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? I'm here. I, I can hear you. I can feel you. I can see you. And I'm so excited that you are able to come back today so that others can hear your story of transformation, inspiration, motivation, all of that. Welcome. Thank you for having me on your show. I really, really, I, I, I love, I'm honored and privileged to have you ask me to come down and talk about the ego, you know, the ego that's not our amigo. I know the other day we tried to do this and we couldn't do it um, due to some technical difficulties, but but we're here now and it's so nice to be here. Exactly. And the ego that's not our amigo would say, oh, it just didn't work out. Oh, no. What happens when the ego gets frustrated or whatever? Our higher self says, trust in divine order. Trust when it's meant to be, it'll flow with ease and grace. And that's why you're Mm -hmm. here. So I'd love for those of you, for those people that don't know you to hear your story. So you talked about, you know, in the introduction, the life before and the life now. Can you give us the, the short version of your journey to your own sobriety? Sure. So, I mean, just 
just to, you know, so people know, I mean, I'm Persian. I was born in Germany and raised in Salt Lake City, Utah. And um, the short version of it is that um, I, I never really had an identity. I, I wasn't sure who I was or, or, you know, growing up in Utah as a young brown boy uh, to Muslim parents in a, in a Mormon um, neighborhood in a Mormon town, uh, I always felt different. You know, I felt like I was always comparing my insides to other people's outsides and losing every time. And, and so um, I, my ego became my greatest protector. You know, I, I, I had to start to follow those that came before me and within the household, my mom, my dad, um, you know, where being a Persian kid uh, and having a father who was a scientist, a doctor, and a mother who was very, very educated, um, I, I was it was expected of me to fall into fall into follow the footsteps of them, and to become either the, the attorney, the, the doctor, or the engineer. And so, um, because I was having this uh, identity crisis at a young age, I, I just I felt like my parents made a big mistake to move us to a, an area and try to push their culture on us, and and uh, when we're being so influenced by things around us, you know, the American culture, the westernized culture. And so I, uh, I, at a very young age, because of that uncomfortability that I felt within myself, I gravitated towards drugs and alcohol. And that was in Utah. I was at a very young age. I'm talking like, I was already experimenting with alcohol at probably seven, eight years old, just taking little shots or oh, drinks. Wow. In there. But like by 12, I was actually like getting drunk, going to like Persian weddings and and noticing that people weren't finishing all their booze. And so I would go around the room and I didn't want to be there at all. But then when I started to help people finish their half drank glasses, I became very comfortable in my skin. And I started pop locking and dancing and break dancing and just, you know, doing all kinds of stuff. And, and, um, and then before they wanted to close down the wedding by the end of the night, I'm like, what? We just got started. Like, we're not, I'm not, you know, like, come on now. And, um, and thus started this, this, uh, me basically realizing that if I gravitate towards certain types of substances that I'd be chasing, it's going to make me feel comfortable in my skin. It's going to make me want to interact with people. I become braver, stronger, better looking in my mind. And, and, um, and so, you know, I can, I can do this. And I I kept chasing that feeling for a long time. Um, By the time we moved to California, I was 15 years old. Dad said, we're moving to Los Angeles. I think that dad thought the entire state of California was Los Angeles because we didn't (laughs) move to LA. We moved to Costa Mesa, California. Oh my God, that's funny. OC is not LA. (laughs) It's not at all. But what was cool about like uh, walking into my high school campus was I was a sophomore in high school at the time when when we got there. And I remember just walking in and seeing like, hey, wait a second. We're not in middle America. Everyone's not white. Everyone's not Mormon. Like there's Browns, there's blacks, there's Mexicans, there's Persians, there's yellows. In the OC? Oh, I didn't know. At least at the school that I went to, which was cool. It was Uh really cool. But the thing was that already this addiction of mine had started to take form. It was shaping, like it it had taken shape and form. And so I am 15 at the time. I'm turning 16. It's like, come on now. Like I've seen the movie Risky Business at the time. And I'm like, (laughs) I love that movie. I I can't wait to go to a high school party. And sure enough, we find out about so-and-so's parents being out of town and, and, and let's make sure that we get there. And we go and we, people are drinking, they're using, you know, they're doing stuff in people's parents' bathrooms and things like that. And so like, you know, I had no qualms. Like, uh, you give me whatever you got, because I love the effect that was produced by alcohol, cocaine, these types of things. Now, when I was 17, 
uh, I had gotten a driver's license about a year late and I was driving to school one morning and uh, I had piled all my friends into my car. I was really proud and happy and I now have my own car. Everybody, let's let's go to school. We're like blaring some music. Windows are rolled down. I can smell the lemon trees in the air. It was a beautiful like morning on our way to school and out of nowhere, this kid came out of nowhere on his bicycle right in front of my car and he went over the hood of my car. I, I, <gasps> I couldn't. I couldn't stop fast enough. And he went over the hood of my car into the windshield and the windshield shattered and the <gasps> car kept rolling and crashed into a minivan. And this kid's body was flung over the top of the minivan head first in the ground. Oh and so God. my whole world went into slow motion. I thought, Oh my God, did I just hit a human body? <gasps> I looked at all the people in my car. There was this wreckage in my car. I got out of the car. I went and looked around the side of the minivan. Kids got his face, like just face down, blood gushing out the top of his head. And, and he didn't die right away. Like his mom took him off of uh, life support about four days later. And, um, and because of that, like I, now I'm, I'm the 17 year old kid, sad, angry, feeling like, Oh my God, like I'm singled out. Like, why would this happen to me of all people? Like everybody in my whole school saw that, like, right. why, me? why me? Right. And, um, and so I, I just, I, I rebelled and I, and it, you know, I was facing, um, a vehicular manslaughter without gross <gasps> negligence charge. I wasn't oh under God. the influence, but I, I created a lot of problems for myself. I was just basically this angry 17-year-old kid that, that felt like God had dealt me a bad hand. And so I just went through life like getting into more and more trouble. And the next thing you know, I found my way into a juvenile uh, in the juvenile system, like in front of a juvenile judge. And he told me, um, Mr. Aldamandan, we don't see you fit to be on the streets of Costa Mesa. You're a complete menace to society. You've accumulated all these crimes. And on top of that, you have a vehicular manslaughter without gross negligence charge. So they sent me to juvie. Oh. And, and I remember like walking into juvie and seeing my boy Angelo there and he had just gotten busted and uh, like a week before. And so already like, I'm, I feel like I'm a tough guy. I'd seen this movie with Sean Penn called Bad Boys back then. And, <laughs> and, and, and just thinking like, what's it like to be on the inside, right? I walk in, I see my boy Angelo. He's like greeting me like, I'm like, what's up, Angelo? He goes, what, what up, man? I go, we hard, we hard. Like I'm trying to represent some hood and I'm not even from the hood, right? Right. And, and I just remember these cholos looking at me through the Pepsi glass and like, where are you from, fool? And immediately like that, that that bravado, like Mr. Uh, tough guy, I just right. turned into that little boy, a scared little boy, just thinking like, oh my God, like I'm getting locked up right now. Like this is real. This shit is real. And so I remember like they put me in the cell. I had this little meltdown in that cell and they transferred me to another unit because they thought I was a danger to myself. And they put me on suicide watch and then they stuck me in like the psych portion of this place. Right. And so here I am locked up in this, like, a, like an animal in a cage for 63 days with no, I, I just, I, I was just, I didn't know what to do. Right. I was like, I didn't get to feel the morning air or like see the sunlight, like go outside in the sun for 63 days. Like it was the worst experience that I ever encountered. And, and I just, that's where I was checked out. Like I stopped believing in anything. I, I, that little bit of hope where I used to wonder what God was about because right. yeah, there was a lot of confusion with having Muslim parents growing up around a lot of people that were, to me, Jesus freaks. And now there was just no hope. I renounced God. Like there's right. no, way, no, no way that God would do this to this poor kid that was riding his bike to school that day. He didn't know he was going to die that day, blackout, dead, gone, just like that. And there's no way that God would put me in this situation. Somewhat of a normal kid not that long ago. Now I'm locked up like an animal. Wow. Right? So I, I just, you know. Pretty much what became my driving force for the rest of my life was my ego. 
And that was because I had been bullied when I was growing up. I had been, uh, I, I, I just had this like mentality that like, I want to be better than everybody and I'm going to be better than everybody. But the problem was that now because of these experiences, you know, I got out of there a few months later. And uh, when I did, um, my parents were getting split up. That really messed with me. And, and so what I, did, I started to do is, um, I was turning 18 years old. I didn't know how to survive in the real world. I tried to work these little rinky-dink jobs and that none of them were working. So I started to sling dope. I mean, I was straight up a drug dealer. Like for all throughout my young adulthood, I, I, I obtained massive amounts of drugs. This was the rave era too. So like I was just slinging dope, right? I was artistic from a very young age and I created a, a, a company, a clothing line. I, we created all kinds of stuff. Like we were, it was huge. Like we actually was were mainstream, like we were selling our clothing and our snowboards, surfboards, skateboards. But again, I was always thinking like, people, I got it going on now. Like you can't, right. with all right. this shit, all this shit was funded from drug money. Like you, and it doesn't matter. Nobody needs to know. I'm looking over my shoulder to make sure the cops aren't on my tail, make, looking over this shoulder to make sure that I'm not about to get jacked by anybody. And, um, and then I start jacking people and getting into a lot of trouble but it wasn't like right away it was gradual like throughout my 20s I was really careful so I thought about where I'm going what I'm doing who I'm affiliating with who you know I had this movement like this I was in my mid-20s and this movement to where uh, a lot of people answered to me because I had drugs to provide right right there was there was women that were in my life that we would meet in strip clubs and I, I, I knew damn well, like these are broken women that have probably been abused, that probably have no qualms. If I give them certain drugs, they don't have any qualms in going and, and stripping for men. And, and if I give them other kinds of drugs, they'll do anything for me, right? I have uh, these so-called friends that were pimps that we would watch them, like I'd provide them with drugs, then they'd provide their hookers with drugs. And we'd watch them go out on the boulevard and go and sell their bodies and come back. And these dudes would hit them. And I'd see that shit in my conscience my conscience would say like, this is all kinds of wrong. Right. Right. But, but my, my ego would say, but you know what? These are your, these are your customers. Like you don't right. need to be judging them or telling them about how you feel. So th my life went on like that for a long time. The problem was that towards the, like uh, into my later twenties, uh, I began to sell drugs to any types of people. And I'm talking like pregnant women, women with children, women that came with their children again knowing damn well in within myself my conscience would say this is wrong it was out of alignment out of alignment out of way alignment. out of alignment right like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm i'm selling this woman drugs and i know like she's going to use those drugs and that baby that's inside of her in her pregnant body that mm -hmm. baby has a, a, a good chance of becoming addicted to these drugs but again the money's more important my ego is like just outweighing everything and, right and this was just the way my life went on for a long time and the, the thing was that I thought that my ego was my greatest protector. I thought that by, by putting the, the fuel and fire into my ego, this is what's going to make me seem like I'm greater than, better than, right. bigger than, like nobody can, nobody can mess with me. Right. Like, because, right. because I'll topple you. Like, and that's the, really like the mentality I have. But again, always throughout that whole time, deep within the gallows and the pits of my stomach there was always the sense of impending doom mm. like this this fearful little boy that never wanted you to realize that i'm scared of you i'm afraid of you i don't know how to how to have a relationship with you and there was also this nurture my soul there was this like a, a little 
morsel, a little speck of love within my soul that because I was raised on love. Like my mother was so loving and my dad as violent as he could be was a, just a lovely man. Like they, there was a lot of love within our home. And I think that when they split up, that just like gave me no hope, not for mm-hmm. having any kind of uh, uh, like unity, no, no, no family, no, nobody to look up to, no guidance from, from a male figure or from a female figure. Cause mom and dad took off, you know what they both, I got older, they took off, and here I am just raising myself with no home training. So um, all I knew how to do was just to feed the ego. And there's a beautiful saying I love. It says, starve the figo, eat the soul. I had no idea about a soul. Mm. I had no idea about a soul. And by the time I was 35 years old, I was a homeless man uh, living on the streets, um, realizing that my life isn't working and everything that I thought I'd accomplished in all those years of drug dealing and having some business that I tanked and, and ran into the ground as a result of bad decisions and no business sense. Right. When, you're a, when you're a drug dealer and you become your best, your like your best customer. <laughs> not good. Not good. Using, don't get high off your own supply. That's right, what right, right. Well, I didn't listen to that shit. Like I was pretty much using my own stuff. And then I just like, went from being a dealer to an addict to a junkie, to just the streets, like straight up living on the streets. Wow. Wow. And that was your point of, before we go into your story of recovery, I just am very interested to know, uh, especially because you work with so many people, Mm -hmm. do you think that your addiction started like a biological thing that was inherited or was it an environmental thing with all these things that were happening or was it a combination of the two i've wondered a lot about that i've un- i've wondered what if i was raised in a different part of town would i have, would, would i have been a different type of addict because there would have been different types of drugs uh, what if, right. if my mother had moved us to iran rather to america then we came to the land of opportunity to have opportunities right we, right we came from germany at the age of five because uh, we want my my parents thought this would be better for for a future for a career for right. my sister and for a, so I, you know, some people say that they're born an addict I you know I don't necessarily think that's it like I I developed an, an addiction to things to things that would make me feel good I think you were saying it earlier like a counselor one time told me when I was newly sober he said Paz you know why I used to use drugs I'm like I don't know you tell me he said well how did it make you feel I said no, it made me feel really good. And he goes, you know why I made you feel good? And I go, why? And he goes, because you felt bad. Because mm. you felt bad. Like, and you got to think about it. I think between the trauma and 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 uh, the experimentation and the phases of of just wanting to see how this and that one will feel, I developed this this love for certain types of drugs. Which then that one drug wasn't enough, so I had to try another drug, or this drug would make me lazy, and that drug would pick right. me up. And, and so and it, it would just, never be enough because it's an empty pit, right? It's a it's, it's a pit. hole that can't be filled. That's right, and uh, you know, an I know insatiable people, hole, right? Majorly insatiable. And you know what's crazy is I meet people that 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 are not addicts or alcoholics and don't really have that gene if you will like that that addictive gene or the alcoholic gene because they will try something for example alcohol have a couple of sips or have a couple of drinks and be like i'm good i'm good me i'm the type of guy when i have a couple of sips and i'm like it's on and popping like let's just go all night long and when i start drinking a little bit i'm like you know what let's smoke let we smoke some weed and next thing you know you know what let's go all night long do some cocaine so i i i do believe that um I, I just developed this addiction and it's addictive behaviors. I think as human beings, 
we all have certain addictions. There's some people that get addicted to video games, some that right. get addicted to porn, some that get right. addicted to gambling and food and, and so many different things. But most definitely my addiction was in the form of substances to get me out of right here, right now. Mm. Like I didn't like how I felt right here, right now. And so I used, to, due to the fact that it would just, the, the effect of it was like, it was electric. It was just, right. it was, it was amazing. It was euphoric. It was bliss, you right. know, but the problem is, is that's what I, my, my ego would convince myself that it was that I'm not going to lie. A couple of times, certain drugs I used gave you that ultimate euphoric sensation, the insatiable sensation that we, we talked about. The problem was, the problem was, is that after you start seeking to get that same first high the way you felt at that time it's never as good as it was that right. time as Shade says never as good as the first time so what was the moment of truth that you know you were able to have that sweet surrender return to your soul ego not my amigo moment well debbie i'm going to tell you something right now jails and institutions and near-death experiences were none of those got me to the point where I thought, like, I need to sober up and change my life. Mm -hmm. When I finally knew I ran out of options, physically, tangibly, all of that stuff, I remember doing the same thing I just said a little bit ago. I, I, I actually asked for help. Mm -hmm. Like, it was the, I don't know what it was. I, like, this false sense of pride and ego. My ego is going to tell me, if you ask for help, it's going to show a sign of weakness. So make sure uh, nobody knows that you're an addict or right. an alcoholic. Does you know your community already will look down on you? Your parents will look down on right. you. No, no Persian mother wants to think that their kid is a tweaker and a heroin addict, right? right so, right. so when I actually raised my ass, hands and asked for help, um, I was introduced and reintroduced to a man. I was introduced at one time to this man. Wanted nothing to do with him. Uh, when I was 30 years old, I had gotten in trouble with the law. I ended up at his front doorstep. He was a Persian guy. Uh, it was like a little recovery Yoda. Back then, he's like, hello, how are you doing? Welcome to my house. And it's like, oh, man, who's this guy? <laughs> this dude just started spitting a bunch of recovery stuff at me. And I'm like, I ain't ready for this. And I went uh -huh. and I did some more research and development for another five years. Research and development. <laughs> really good job of running my life into the ground. And by the time I was 36 years old, I ended up on this front doorstep of a house led there by my mother who put me in the hands of another person who then put, sent me to this house. When I knocked on the door, that same man answered the door. Now you tell me, is it odd or is it God? I don't think this is God's way. There are no coincidences. It's, this no, is God's it's way all of, divine uh, order, right? It's, it's God's way of staying anonymous. What are the chances that I would end up at this dude's house one more time? And this time, the thing was, is I went in there with conditions of what, how, you're going to allow, like, have deserved to have my presence within your house. Right. Ego, straight <laughs> ego. ego, just ego, so grandiose, so full of myself. Yet, I, I, I go in this guy's house and, I, you know, under my conditions, and he broke me down real quick. Like, you know what he did? He basically, he just told me that uh, I'm in my own way and I need to just chill out. And, and there were certain things that I would do in certain ways I would act to where he would just kind of put a mirror in front of me, metaphorically. Right. He would basically, he would size me up, look at me and tell me, looks like you have some anger issues. <laughs> we, we, we're going to have to work on that. 
looks like, why don't you come and sit down and tell me some things about yourself? How much time you got? Go ahead, I'll give you two hours. He told me, I sat down, I told him my life story. And, uh, and he said, I have some ideas. And what we did was some, some deep rooted work. Um, one of the things that we did was called a psychodrama where they put, we were in a family group. A lot of Persian families would send their kids to this. It was a Persian recovery home, right? Oh, that's great. And the reason that I went there was to make the Persian mother happy. But I remember I sat down and um, there was all these people in a big circle, all these family members. My mother came that night and she hadn't even come to visit me yet. You know, and uh, I remember that they, I think my sister was there too. They brought this kid. He was one of the people's, one of the clients that were in rehab with me, his kid, 12 year old, laid him on the ground and put a sheet over his body and had, had me walk around the room and relive the day of my car accident and talk oh, about it in depth. And, wow. and when, I was, when I was talking about it, I was just shedding tears. Like, I, 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 I kid you not, I could have filled a cup with all the tears that came out of my head. Wow. Like, you know, you get all these Persian mothers and fathers and every, everybody was in tears. And I look at my mother and her face was shaking and tears were coming down her face. And, and uh, he said, now, okay. Now, after describing the whole event of that day, he said, come and put your hand on top of this, this sheet. Now feel this body. This represents the kid, the, the body of the kid that you hit that day. What was his name? I told him his name. He said, you tell him how you, how you feel about him losing his life. And I was like, just bawling. Just, oh, I didn't, wow. I never wanted you to lose your life. I'm so sorry that it happened. And then he said, okay, so what about your life? Tell, tell him about your life. And I'm like, my life? My, I don't have a life. Oh. I don't know what having a life is like. I've never had a real life. I said, okay, so what do you want to do, Pej? How about this? You want to make a commitment? I said, yeah, I want to make a commitment. He goes, what's your commitment? I said, I want to help every single addict and alcoholic of every age, race, creed, and color that comes into my path one day at a time for the rest of my <sighs> And it was the next morning after that, because I looked at the room. I, I remember just looking at my mom real quick, and I was like, if you, if you screw this one up, you are a fucking loser. Like, make sure that you hold hold true to your word, right? Right. And I, I, the next morning I woke up and I felt like a thousand pounds was lifted off my back. Wow. This was my ultimate turning point. This was like spirit, a spiritual revolution. Like, just right. I was rejuvenated, ready for, ready to just conquer the world. That because all that, of a sudden you had purpose before you were living from ego and now purpose. you were living from purpose. Major purpose. And I had people in front of me that demonstrated what it was like to be altruistic, like my counselor, like my, my like my spiritual advisor. I had a guy, we call them sponsors in a 12-step world, right? right. It was a guy that it was a guy that talked the talk and walked the walk. And he was, you know, he was a straight shooter. He was a uh, he, he would come and sit with me for hours and we would do the, the recovery work to, to become recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body and, and become the best version of ourselves to become the human beings that we were meant to be, not, the, not that facade that we were caught up in. The most right. beautiful thing about the people that were that God, and I, I say this very comfortably now, I started believing again. God yeah. placed these angels in my path. Yes, and, earth but, angels for sure. I'm telling you right now, the way that these guys were they didn't just talk a good talk. They didn't just like spit jargon. Right, right, right. right. These, these gentlemen and gentlewomen, the, the way that they presented themselves and they gave of themselves and the way they volunteered of themselves, they, their essence was recovery. Their essence was recovery. Mm -hmm. they, were, they were just beautiful human beings that, that cared. And, and they, they too were once drug addicts and bank robbers and all types of stuff that, that I, I could look up to. And they, they, they were 
they just told us like how they were totally transparent. They had no qualms. They, they told us everything. And by them relating with me, it gave me this drive to want to give to others. And that's right. exactly what it was. I, I, from there on, I, I went out of my way to be of maximum service to God and his fellows. And that was that when means, you were 35? I was 36 years old in this guy's recovery home. He called it a rehab. And yes, like we were re- getting rehabilitated. It's funny. You get a lot of cats that would come up in there and be like, oh, dude, we come up in places like this. They just try to wash your brain. I'm like, motherfucker, my brain was dirty. Like I got some <laughs> washing to do. Right? Dirty like, mind. Right? A total dirty mind. So so things things changed. You know, I, I changed everything about me. And, and, um, and so... Wait, can I ask you a question before you go on? Um, this is just kind of like fascinating to me, the the journey, because if you believe in divine order and if you believe in earth angels and if you believe that this journey that you are on, dot, dot, mm-hmm. dot, continue to be on, is the boy that you hit, was he an earth angel? Was that like a meant to be moment? to redirect you on this path to be able to do your soul's work in this world was even that divine order. I mean, that's a, great, that's a great question. I don't even think it's possibly. I think here, here's, you want to hear something weird about that? Mm-hmm. The kid's life was short lived, right? As much as, as much as guilt and shame and remorse that I lived in because I got to go on and live after that. Mm-hmm. As a result of that experience happening, I was then able to get past it and realize that as sad as it may seem, God must have wanted him to pass at that time and all this experience to happen so that down the line, the tragedy can turn into a blessing. Right. Now, the weirdest thing about that is, is that when I had, now I'm 14 years sober now, when I had seven years of sobriety, I was speaking in this meeting, a 12 step meeting. Mm Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, some dude came up to me at the end of the meeting because they always come up and thank the speaker. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he goes, Pej, do you remember me? And I said, who are you? And he goes, do you remember I used to sell you weed? I'm like, Jason? He goes, yeah. And I said, what are you doing here? He goes, I'm 11 months sober. I'm like, that's cool. And he said, um, you know how you were telling that story about that kid? And I go, yeah. He goes, the kid's mom is really old now and I'm her caretaker. Oh, oh my God, I got chills. And I said, uh, uh, oh I, I, I always wondered, should I make an amends to this lady? I mean, it wasn't intentional. It was totally right, 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 right. I called my spiritual advisor. He said, just leave it, leave it alone. Right, leave right, it alone. Right. You don't want to put salt on the wound. Right, the right, weirdest right. thing was about six months later, I was at Trader Joe's shopping and I was turning a corner and I saw Jason was coming around the corner. I was quickly going to go and greet him again and say, what's up to him? And good, how much time you have sober and all that. But right. I stopped, I stopped in my tracks and I looked and he was, remember he said he was a caretaker. He was uh, with the lady. He was oh, with the mother. And she wow. was apart. So I went throughout my life, almost two decades, always wondering, do I need to say something to this lady? Right. And I do, do not think for a second right. of my life that by accident that right. I, I was able to have this experience, right. and and uh, and how weird is it that the guy I used to buy weed from becomes right. this caretaker? Like of all things, right? It's 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 all everything right. is divine, you know. Every experience, right. there's there's. But a message. your living amends is doing the work that you do in the world. Absolutely, right? Absolutely, and you know, I don't like to praise myself. My ego has come up in my recovery, right? 
in many different shapes and forms, in many different shapes. And it, it, ego never goes away. You know, it's, it's your enemy, ego, the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a trip because, you know, uh, when you're in a 12 step world, we talk about ego puncturing. I, I, ego what? Ego puncturing, puncturing the ego, constantly uh, uh -huh. chipping away at it, exposing uh -huh. it, realizing it is your enemy. And, and you know, like sci scientifically, like there's different forms and versions of ego. But when it comes to my world, like the type of recovery that we do in the world that we're in, there's a big difference between like the ego, which sometimes we dress it up and call it things like the disease or right. the illness or. Uh -huh devil like some uh -huh. can dress it up and call it anything but at the end of the day i believe all human beings come into this earth our soul is already here we are all right. one soul right? right this is what i believe right right and the ego takes form from a very young age you know if you see two kids that are fighting over a toy those right are, it's, that's it's, mine that's mine it's mine that's the belongs to me right there's, there's the ego right there right right and so I believe that there's an ego, there's a soul. And when we as human beings can actually recognize them and right. distinguish between the two of right. them, which is which, and which one are we going to, you know, the two wolves story, like which, which wolf are you going to feed right. the most? But when we can distinguish between the two of them and do our very utmost best to overcome the, the temptations and the urges that the ego will want us to do and live through the soul, right. we're surrendering to the higher source and some flow us, that's when life it, flows instead of struggle god i call it god like for mm. me it's god it's yeah. divine it's beautiful and and why would i why what happened in the process of why did i surrender so much to something outside of myself which is actually within myself it is right. it's like i went inwards god to me is not some sky daddy in the sky it's right. like calling shots from heaven right. i don't believe that heaven and hell there's no location like if Truth it be told, be right here. <laughs> it could be right here. Truth be told, like as, as an ex drug addict, like I experienced hell on earth. Mm -hmm. I, I, I experienced hell on earth, and I experienced heaven on earth now. Right. You know, I get to go throughout my life and see so many beautiful things and so many miracles. And as sad as it may seem, we see a lot of people that die from fentanyl overdoses. We see a lot of people that die from alcoholism. They drink themselves to death, or heroin overdoses, or many different. I see a lot of addicts that die because of that. And, I, and I, I ruffle feathers when I say this, but I, it's not my intention. But I believe the reason that they die is because their ego got in the way of anything that was good. I believe that there was plenty of messages coming from messengers to help them make right. the right choices. But because right. they wanted to still give more power to their egos, right. they they they're gone. Right. Yeah. When I, I always talk about the ego when I do workshops and, you know, the ego is edging good out or edging God out. Wow. Wayne Dyer always said that. Yes. And then that still small voice, which you call your soul, God, mm -hmm. I right. call that my like IGS, like the intuitive guidance system. Like we have the GPS sure. in our car, but God gives us this instantly, but it's so, it's so small and it's so light. It's so loving. So you literally through your inner work, that's what we talk about in this podcast, have to tune in to, the, to hear that loving voice because the right. ego voice is that loud voice. I want this. I want it now. And one of the things that you said that I think was leading to my next question um, is, you know, the difference between people that 
get sober and stay sober because I love watching like all these biographies and I see movies of people. Oh, why did he go so soon? And why did he go so soon? And what, and maybe you can answer this question for me. It's like, cause you could get sober, but still not do the inner recovery work. Like if you didn't do the psychodrama, Mm -hmm. you know, because underneath the addiction is some sort of trauma or some sort of angst or, you know, and if you never allow those emotions to come out in a healthy, productive way, Mm -hmm. you could be dry and still not sober. Right. I'm so happy that you bring that up because that is actually a reality. Most definitely. Some people don't know about that. Uh, Not everybody that comes and gets sober stays sober. Not everybody that comes and gets sober does the work to really rejoice in true recovery. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have different interpretations of recovery. Some people think if they go sit in 12 step meetings and they stay sober, that they're in recovery to each their own. You know, I I don't want, I don't want my ego to conduct what my, what its opinion is of them. Right. But you know what I, what this based off of an evidence base, what I have uh, noticed is that People that become full-blown addicts and alcoholics are full of resentments, trauma, underlying issues that they have not worked through. There's a lot of them have been molested, raped. They have molested. They have raped. They've witnessed death, murder. They have, some of them have even murdered, okay? And, And some just have stuff that nobody really knows what's up. Maybe they don't even know what's up, but- when you come in and get sober, if you don't work through your shit, you don't even have to do drugs and alcohol anymore. Right. To to be to have that soul sickness in recovery. Right. It would probably be better for you to go do drugs. Right. So you don't, so you don't have to be so fucking miserable. Right. My stepmom because- told me this story. Her husband, that was mm-hmm. an alcoholic and a drug addict all his life, he got sober and then he was like all on this health kick, but he ended, but he was still mean, which is why she got, they got divorced. And she said he died of, of cancer, you know, Mm -hmm. at like 65, you know, she said he did the work to physically, but not the emotional mental, the core wound. Right. Right. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's usually the way it goes. If, if there's a lot of people that suffer from depression, there's a lot of people that suffer from anxiety. Where do we think this stuff comes from? Like, let's say that they don't have an addiction or alcoholism. Right, right. A lot of people say, well, I'm clinically, I've been clinically diagnosed with depression or anxiety. It, it, when we're babies, mm-hmm. when, when we're infants, like are we, when we're running around the living room, do we have anxiety? Yeah. Do we have depression? No, yeah. we, have, we haven't even like yet developed those types of emotions. It's how we process the events that happen in our lives. That How we process and, and interpret them, right? And, and interpret them. And, and also some of us become carbon copies of our parents because mm. mom was, was a depressive fool. I became a depressive Maybe fool. Maybe I'm just no. like my mother. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, maybe I'm just like my father. So, so you know, it's really one of the cool things about um, my journey is that as much, you know, I, I sat here today and painted a picture of a person that you would just think is just this drug addict, right? Like that, that had a bad, bad, a few bad experiences earlier in his life mm-hmm. and, uh, and then ended up uh, getting better and changing his life. Now, 
I, if you don't mind, I would like to talk about something that really means a lot to me. Yeah, okay? of course. My relationship with Prince started at a very young age, okay, a very young age. And why do I think Prince is a big deal? Why do I love Prince so much? A lot of my mom asked me that the other day. I was like, Mom, there's there's a lot of my my non Prince friends that question like, why Prince? I know. Argue like arguably the guy's the best musician ever. Mm -hmm. that we've ever encountered and anybody that wants to say different is is out of their mind like show me anyone that did what he did the way he did it show me anyone that played guitar the way he could play any stacy and danielle are like we agree we agree we agree (laughs) my 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 love and adoration for prince was first started when i lived in utah first time i ever caught wind of prince was on american bandstand and i didn't know who he was and i probably didn't even care because i was super young but he, it was just this guy with weird long hair that was singing and wearing these tight, like, latex pants and probably wasn't anything appealing, especially when you're growing up in Utah and you get all right. them egos that think that that stuff looks gay and shit, right? right? So automatically, I, I just saw – I remember seeing him, but it wasn't a big deal. But during, like, the 1999 era, I remember thinking Michael's already the one. Like, Michael Jackson is the one. Like, right. the way he dances, the way he sings, ain't nobody like Michael. All of a sudden, Prince comes along, and I'm just like, whoa, this dude reminds me of Michael. He's a little bit prettier, right? And and he plays music. And then the movie came out. So over a period of time, I it was just like I fell in love with this guy. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was living listening to heavy metal. And mind you, I love some heavy metal and shit like that. It's like, what was mm-hmm. what was playing? But like I I just I developed this loving of like everything Prince, anything that came out by him. And throughout my life, I believe that throughout my addiction, throughout my alcoholism, Prince is one of the things, one of the thing, people definitely through his music that still gave me hope. Oh. That still gave me, because Prince sang about love. Right. And as much as Prince sang about God and I was anti-God for a long time, right. I always knew that he believed Right. So you could and rest on his belief. I could rest on his belief. And you know what's like a trip is even when I heard that he went into the direction of Jehovah, which I'd already had my, my experiences personally with, with the Mormons, with mm-hmm. the Catholics, with the right. Christians. And then right. all of a sudden I had some Jehovah's Witness show up to my door. I, I understood. Where are the Jews? <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I understood why he, why he would. He was influenced by some people. Right. You know, and, and because he was influenced by that, this is the, the journey that he took. But regardless of the fact, a lot of things happened during my years of listening to Prince that I do not think happened by mistake or by accident. Right. Mind you, when I was in Utah growing up as a teenager, I had a dream that I would sit with Prince and talk to him one day. And that shit took place, not just once, a few times, right? I mean, a few times throughout my life. It's like, I... Afshin Shahidi, his old photographer, took a picture that went on the on the uh, uh, Aladdin, like live at the Aladdin CD DVD. He took a picture. If you open up the the DVD case and look at the the DVD itself, I don't think it happened by mistake. That he happened to capture this tweaker Persian guy. That's uh, it was me. I was up for four days, and it's just like zeroed in right onto my face. I'm the only one of the only clearest figures standing there. Everything else is a blur around me. Wow. That, that happened. And then just all the times of going to Glam Slam and catching him, going to the, the Billboard Club 
and having a conversation with them downstairs, going to, to the House of Blues, talking to him there, and then going to his house into my sobriety. My friend won a contest. We went to his house in Beverly Hills, Beverly Park, uh, you know, and he played for us for two and a half hours. We were singing Irresistible Bitch while he was playing the fucking drums. Like, this shit, you can't write this shit. No. Like, how the hell, how, why would this keep happening? And One of your my, earth angels, right? All, for sure. All my non-Prince friends would be like, dude, you're like fucking Waldo. Like, every every time we see some Prince video, you're up in there. And then sure <laughs> enough, I, the Arsenio Hall show. When we got the tickets to go to the the, the last one, the more recent. I was supposed to be there. I was waiting online outside. You should have brought me in, man. I I, so I signed up for the tickets, and then they gave us they they gave me the opportunity to actually. They they called me because I called them. They they said Prince fans, if you're going to be going to the Prince show, I'll ask a question, right? If yeah, if you're quitting your job or breaking up with somebody. Let oh. us know because we might want to use you in a special part of the show. So oh, I said that. I instantly sent them back an email. I said, I'm quitting my job. I want to, how do I, where do I sign up? And they said, we got you. We got you. And then sure enough, when I got there, they said, listen, we've decided to actually have a guy who's breaking up with his girlfriend. Prince is going to break up with the person, but we want you to uh, stand over here in line with these other people. And you're going to, we're going to, the producers came and gave us some questions to ask stupid questions like at least mine was stupid right. and sure enough that was like the first time like now i'm like it's like a movie like i'm on on national television like asking prince a question and sure enough like we lost him a couple of years later but the most beautiful part of all of that leading up to that was that the november in the year before that i went i saw cheesecake funk on prince's uh on his, what is it called, on his Twitter. And I flew out right away and got to see him play in the small room at Paisley Park. And then sure enough, piano and microphone, I got, I had the golden opportunity to go and see this wow. guy I had loved all my life. It, it was like ceremonial. It was like, he came in with an Afro. He went out with an Afro. He played like his whole discography. And, and just to be there in his domain, in his mm -hmm. house and see like, the finale it almost i almost felt in my like heart like there's something to all this you know it's so like why why would he do it like this and does he know he's transcending and going somewhere else and right and sure enough, uh, and oh for it, sure and then it happened right you know? and it happened and and so i i think that we are very blessed to have been able to experience him not just like his music but to be those of us who've been to the shows Right. It's a different like, experience. It's a whole different and experience. probably the reason you resonate is because he lives from the place of the soul. I mean, from almost soul. every guest that I interviewed on the podcast, and this podcast sure. is not about Prince, everybody right. has mentioned him. And then even every book I read, like I read a Lenny Kravitz book and then I read a Mariah Carey book. And they, because he was, and my mom asked me the other day, well, why do you love him so much? And it's only getting progressively worse since the pandemic because he kept me company sure. <laughs> during the pandemic. He was my uh, roommate here. Um, and I said, because he's one of the few people besides the Dalai Lama that I met that I could see the evolution of consciousness and the full expression of living from the soul, not the ego. And Absolutely. there's very there's two people I met, Dalai Lama and Prince, that had that vibration and had that energy. And it's it's so addicting. <laughs> it's very, very much 
to, to me, Prince was a mystic, and, and yeah, Jesus, definitely. Jesus, Jesus was a mystic. There's, yes, exactly. Uh, us as human beings, when you talk about levels of consciousness, like, right? Exactly. Us as human beings, we all, every human being, and this is what I believe. Like, right. I, I love reading Rumi. I totally. Yeah, me too. I, I I believe that us as human beings, when we start to shed our egos, because there's so many layers. Right. There's so many layers of ego. When we shed that and, and move towards the soul, which is the divine, that's the, the oneness, that's that's mm-hmm. God, right? Yeah. When we're living in God's light, uh, we we have a purpose. And I believe that any human being that does not find what their ultimate purpose is on this earth is living a meaningless life. And that's the purpose of this podcast, not to have a joy, but to have a job and to hear your story about how you discovered your soul's contract and your purpose, that out of the darkness, that light, it was illuminated. And then when other people can hear that, they do that. Right. And and that's the thing. Like I never, a lot of people will praise me or a lot of people will say, good job on your sobriety. And none of that matters to me. I mean, I appreciate it. Thank you for the praise or thank you for the thanks. But what matters to me the most is when I'm speaking in front of a group of people that are struggling or newer addicts or sitting in detox, coming off of like a hard meth or, 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 or heroin or fentanyl bender. It's like, let's have a conversation. I just want you, and I, I'll always say this to them. I'm going to tell you my story today, but I want you to know in the end of the story, there's one thing that matters to me the most is that you recognize who you are eventually throughout your journey of recovery. And you understand that we need you. I had a mentor that put his hand on my shoulders at six months of sobriety, looked me in my eyes and said, we need you. And and for years, I thought people needed me for dope. People needed me for money. People mm. needed me for rides. People needed me for all this bullshit, this right. substance and tangible bullshit. And then when I actually like was told that somebody needs me for my well-being so that I could express that and, and teach others and help others the same way that I was taught. It's divine. It's, it's, we're it doing divine. God's work. We're going out and doing. We're doing God's bidding, right? Whatever God would like for me. I wake up in the top of the morning, and I'm not depressed. I'm not anxiety ridden. I, I I seek right away. God, what would you like for me today? You just tell me. Just put it in my path. And right. sure enough, I'll get a phone call. I'll have some right. mother call me about her struggling child. Whatever. Right. I don't care. And and it never. I, it never fails. Like there's always work to be done. And then something right. I believe. A, a life that that's that revolves around being of of maximum service to others. It's true. It's it's it. Yeah. Look at look at the Dalai Lama. Look at Mother Teresa. These people. Oh my God. The Dalai Lama is hilarious. He cracks up all the time. He, he laughs at his own jokes. That's why I laugh at my own jokes. I learned it from the Dalai Lama. But we both know Reverend Michael Beckwith and his wife, former wife, Ricky Byers Beckwith. You know, one of the songs that they wrote together. Um, you know, I woke up this morning with. With, you know, with God on the spirit. And it's like, she said, every day you wake up and you ask yourself, how can I be of service today? Right. How can right. I allow my talent, skills, and ability to be of service? Because the quality of her questions are the quality of her life. Instead of saying, why me? Why did right. this happen? Reverend Michael calls that victim consciousness. We ask, how can I serve today? How can I use my talents to make my life a beneficial presence by your Absolutely. serving your people, getting Absolutely. them into alignment, getting them into sobriety. Oh my God. 
I could talk forever. I know you're at a conference. Can I ask you one more question and then we'll wrap up? I'm like, I don't know how much, how much time I have with you. I totally remember that when you were on Arsenio. Stacy's yeah. like, purple people, let's go on, right? Um, oh my well, God, there's so that, many questions you, for you. You know, you know what we were saying a second ago about the victim mode? Like, yeah. what, what, I did not know that they split up, by the way. My, uh, Michael and but you know um if you read ron miguel ruiz's books the oh, of course of i do four agreements four, four master agreements. of love i yeah, met them he, both they spoke at agape i love them oh, don miguel and then don miguel that, that, jr that and then his two sons i heard about that i, would, yeah. I heard that they, they spoke there but when uh, a lot of people they don't realize it's enough that when i hear people talk from victim needs or taking things personally or 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 assuming things or yeah. uh, you know not keeping the word and things like that i often tell them go read the four agreements just oh, read the four agreements learn about learn about the victim and the judge learn yeah. about where this originated from learn about the parasite that's within and how we can spread parasites or we can get other people's parasites learn about accepting people for having their own stories and not letting their story become your story so that it brings you down if their story happens to be convoluted in any single way. Right. So, you know, definitely it, that when I say the judge and the victim, that that goes with the ego. Like yeah. I'm Persian. Like, of course, there was a judge and a victim in my, my lifestyle, right? <laughs> All throughout my life. I love it. Yeah, 80% of the time when I'm upset, it's because I've broken one of the four agreements. For those people that haven't read the book, here's the cliff notes. One, be impeccable with your word and not just do what you say you'll do, but speak only in the direction of love. I always right. tell people when they're speaking, I'm like, only speak what you desire to happen. Don't speak anything else. That's right. being out of non-impeccability. Don't make sure. assumptions. Always do your best. That's why I ask at the end of the night, did I do my best? And um, don't take things personally. That's my hardest one, Pej. I take everything personally. <laughs> my ego thinks it's all about me. Don't make outrageous. Uh, I know you think you're the star of the movie, but other people, they're the star. You're the side character. I'm like, <laughs> Absolutely. I think we all can take things personally pretty easily. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So um, when people are getting sober, what are like some of the inner work principles that you have them do first? Like, okay, if you want to stay sober, here's inner work that you need to do to stay in alignment. It depends because let's say, for example, somebody is uh, coming off of a hard fentanyl bender or a meth bender, right? Um, they need to be detoxed first. Oh. And there's going to be a period of time where they need to land the ship by becoming detox. So there's not a lot of like deep rooted work that, that I encourage people to do in that time. I think um, they should give themselves a time to, to be like, you know, at ease to just uh, relax, let the substances get out of you. And then often I encourage people that, uh, that, uh, that are starting to get into the path of recovery over a period of time is, is, um, to go deep, to not be convinced that they're not going to be able to do it, to not, to, you know, there's this thing that we, uh, we, we do, it's, it's a prayer, it's, God, what is it called, the set-aside prayer, set-aside all the things that I think I know about the recovery process, it, it, because there's a lot of people that have come, they've gotten sober, then they've gone back out, and they think, oh, that doesn't work for me, that works for those people, set that shit aside. Quit uh -huh. being so damn sure of yourself. Come in here. Let us help you learn to surrender. 
let us love you till you learn to love yourself. And that's the thing. Like a lot of people are automatically conditioned to thinking I'm a piece of shit. I won't amount to anything. That's just, listen, that's just the shit you have convinced yourself of. That's your own perception. And, and you know, I, I'll give it to some people. They have the right to feel that way. When you're raised in an environment where somebody talks to you abusively, right. and puts you down, right. or tells you you'll never amount to anything, you start exactly. believing that shit. Right. So your mind gets conditioned to thinking like, you know, dad always told me if I didn't become a doctor, I'm, I'm going to be a piece of shit. And here I am a drug dealer and I'm a total, it's a total taboo to our community. And I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm just like dispensing medications to people that, that illegally. Right. And that's not right. a doctor. That's a drug dealer. So I, I believe that uh, uh, when people come in, I, I, I try to empower them. I also try to point out when they are in their ego and I don't have to do, like be aggressive about it. I don't have to like be assertive. I can just, um, just like my counselor told me, looks like you have some anger issues. <laughs> just compassionate like, observer. I would hope that you. Like, Without judgment. Yeah, I hope that like, you, I, I can relate to that. I had some anger issues too. Let me just, let me describe it. A lot of people when I'm working with newcomers, do not hear me. At least I think they're not listening. Right. But you never know when you're saying something right. and they actually are getting it because I've worked with various people and down the line, all right. of a sudden, one of them one day will say something like, I must be in my ego, Pesh, like you often mention. I'm like, oh. <gasps> you were listening. <laughs> so you do listen. Okay. Okay. Well, good. Then I must be doing something right. I thought, uh -huh. I thought nobody listens, but uh -huh. you know, I always like to point out the, the 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 distinguishing the ego from the soul. Just so I feel like if I don't do that, then I'm doing a disservice to my fellow humans. Exactly. You know, and I, I believe very deeply in the ego and the soul. It's they are real. Yes. They are real. There yes. is a negative and a positive. There is duality. Mm -hmm. Like I don't care what anybody says. Like just look at politics. Yeah. Look, at, look, look at some Prince fans. Look at some, like look at you know who's I've seen in the Prince community. Like, oh, I got the German version of like the golden. <laughs> exactly. Ooh, like, look at you. If you like, don't have the live version, it's not legit. <laughs> it's not legit. No, I tr I used to love that cartoon. Remember, they had the little angel and the little devil, mm -hmm. you know. And I'm like, oh, the little devil wants to have wine, but the angel's like, go do yoga. You know? That's right. Like, that's right. That's right. I I just really um am so grateful for your time, for your energy, for your wisdom. I could talk to you forever, um, and we could do another show you can come back and we could talk about another specific topic sure. um but i would love for people to be able to stay in touch with you i have to say your social media is impeccable on point i mean i look at because it's not just you know here i am Pej. it's like you're giving great information and resources and tools and letting people know how they can connect with you for recovery so what is the best way if people um, have kids or people in their lives that are struggling and they need to talk to you or someone like you to get help? How could they stay in touch with you? Well, for one, okay, um, I am on TikTok uh, as Pej the Interventionist. I am uh, on YouTube as Pej the Addiction Interventionist. Uh, we do have a podcast. It is called Pej's Recovery Corner, where we talk about all things recovery or lack thereof, depending yeah. on how you roll. Right? And you have but, it with real people that you're working with, right? I have with, with all the people that I've encountered or met or people that I've been told I should have on 
um, oh. Hedges Recovery Corner, I often offer, I invite them to come down to the corner and uh, we will sometimes film within a studio and within a house, within their houses, within, you know, but there are people that, um, like the director of the movie Body Brokers, which was like a recovery-based movie, or all of these different, there's so many different types of people that come on. Some of them are celebrities. Some of them are celebrities that are sober. Some of them are just normal people that are not celebrities. But some of them are people that are experts in the field of addiction and alcoholism. So, you know, uh, we, we we try to keep it creative. We try to, try to keep it like human, like where we, where we you know, I basically just interview them. I ask them to tell us their life story. We go through where they're from and then what they, what happened to them and then what their recovery looks like. And, um, you know, I, I would love to see more support on my YouTube, uh, channel. Yes. You know, I would definitely. YouTube, Pej the Addiction. I just subscribed. Thank you. Thank you very much. Pej the Addiction Interventionist. I do interventions. If people need to call me, they can oh, just wow. call me. 310-596-9356. Wait, um, say it again. Say it again. 310-596-9356. I'm going to type can... it in there. 310-596-9356. Okay. And, and what I do is basically when people need, uh, they have a loved one that is suffering with addiction, alcoholism, or mental health, and uh, they need assistance or help then they sometimes hire me or they have me come out to try to help their loved one get the appropriate help that they need. And, and that's I used to kind of watch my... that show on TV, the intervention. intervention. Oh yeah. my God, I love that show. Then I had yeah, to stop. It was stressing me out. Thing. It was stressing me out. Oh my God, I couldn't yeah. do it anymore. Yeah. Wow, that's what you do for a living? That is hard. Yeah. One of the things I do for a living, I wear a lot of hats and I didn't want to get into all that. I'm like, yeah. If I, if I sit here and tell you everything I do, I might be stroking my ego. <laughs> <laughs> your ego is not your amigo. That's right. right. Your ego is not your amigo. I love it. We got to get shirts. We got to get shirts. Okay. Right. Well, I um, I know that there's going to be someone that hears this that's going to have an aha awakening moment. We're going to help people with our synergistic support of each other, get sober, live their highest and best life. I always say the intention of this podcast is what would the world be like if everyone was aligned with their purpose? If they were living from the soul rather than from the ego, how mm-hmm. would this world be? That is my, that's my soul's contract to have this world, to be a beneficial presence on the planet, to pour as much inspiration, activation, transformation in the world so that people can have that, that, that experience of peace, Absolutely. even if it's freedom, even if it's for five seconds or 10 seconds, that glimpse of it, you know, because life isn't about working, making money, getting things, and then dying. Oh, no, because we don't bring any of it with us, do we? Nope. Nope. Any um, last words, roomy poem, anything you want to say? There's this guy named Chuck Chamberlain. His name is Chuck C. in our recovery community. He says, the measure of your anxiety is the measure of your distance from God. Um, I love the fact that I don't have anxiety anymore. I love. Oh, my God, that's so good. Say it again slower. The measure, measure? the measure of your anxiety is the measure of your distance from God. So okay. when you're really close to God, there's no anxiety. There shouldn't be anxiety. If God's oh. in charge and you're letting God in the driver's seat and you're just going along for the ride, why why have anxiety? It's, you're in God's world. Let, God, let things unfold the way they want to. You know, Kabir says God is the breath inside the breath. <gasps> God is the breath inside the breath. That's right. 
Ooh, you made me cry with that. It's so beautiful. Thank you, my brother from another mother. I love you. I love you too. This part. I, <laughs> I love you. Anything I could do to support you, let me know. Let me know. I I'm here. You. Thank you for having me We're on your show. We're going to keep amplifying this message. I'm going to send this everywhere. And by the way, if you're listening, thank you so much, all of you that are listening live or on the replay. Please follow him everywhere. Follow his Instagram, his YouTube, and support people that are supporting others to be aligned for success. Thank you so much for being here and thanks all of you. We will be back next week at our regular time and eventually this show will be featured on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. So love it if you could go over to Apple, give us a little five star, write a little review when you get a chance. I really appreciate you and remember my friends, with the power of synergy, anything is possible. Ciao. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in for the Align for Success podcast. Did you love the show? If you did, make sure that you share it on your social media. We believe in a world that everyone is aligned on purpose, on path, and having a joy, not a job. So we really appreciate you sharing. We believe sharing is caring. And if you also get a chance, we would love it if you could write a review on iTunes. This is how our show grows. This is how our show expands. And we do this show for you. So if you want to ask your questions, you can watch us live on YouTube. Just follow me at DebraDarisLive.com. In addition, if you would like an Align for Success video training with the four steps to shift out of sabotage and your ego, that's not your amigo, from taking you out of the game to being at the top of peak performance, make sure you go to DebraDarris.com. That's D-E-B-O-R-A-H-D-E-R-A-S.com. And remember to align for success.